your Bibles, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and beginning in verse 23. Hebrews, chapter 11. In the uh, 2004 Summer Olympic Games in uh, Athens, Greece, the American uh, women's uh, 4x100 relay team was favored to win gold. And uh, the, the team featured a, a young sprinter by the name of Marion Jones, who had already won uh, four gold medals in the previous Olympics at Sydney. And uh, the, the American tr- team was already off to a, to a great start when Marion Jones took the baton to, to run the second leg. And as she ran her 100-meter race, she gained ground. And she was approaching the next uh, sprinter, uh, 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 Lauren Williams. And as she approached her, uh, Lauren Williams began to run, as, as, as is the case in a relay race. But unfortunately, she was unable to make the handoff of the baton. Once, twice, three times, she thrust the baton forward, but Lauren Williams couldn't seem to get her fingers around the baton. Finally, on the fourth try, she was able to get the baton to her, but it was already after they had uh, uh, passed the 20-yard exchange jo- uh, zone and they were disqualified. Everyone knew that they were the fastest team on the track. I mean, the, the night before they had had uh, an exceptional qualifying time, but they couldn't make the handoff and their race was over. You know, life is a lot like a relay race. As as important it is as it is for each generation to get on track and to, to run the race faithfully, it's equally as important that that generation faithfully hand off the baton of faith to the next generation. It, it's sad. When that doesn't happen. And in life there is a, a limited time that we as parents have to be able to hand off that baton. It's just a limited time. And that handoff is not as easy as it looks. You know, when you watch that race, it seems like it'd be a simple thing to be able to hand off that baton. But when the other person is running and you're running and you're trying to run at at your uh, fastest pace, handing off that baton sometimes can really be difficult. It takes a lot of diligence. It takes energy. It takes effort to be able to do that. And it's a little scary thinking about raising children in our world today. Don't you think so? I mean, you think about the world in which we live in. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a hostile world. We live in a world that is, I mean, it's, it's filled with, with pornography and immorality. I mean, it's everywhere we look. It, it's, has become, it has inundated our culture. It's on the television, it's in the print media, and it's certainly online. And there's just this constant, constant barrage of the minds, on the minds of our children. Uh, it's, a, it's a perverse society where homosexuality is now openly practiced. And not only that, but there is a full-time effort to uh, indoctrinate the minds of our children that this is an okay lifestyle. There's violence of every sort. I mean, there's gangs and there are school shootings and church shootings and workplace shootings. There's terrorism. There's war. There are threats of chemical, biological, and even nuclear disasters in our world. I mean, these are the kinds of things that we live in. It's, it's a hostile world, and, and it's kind of scary to think about raising children in this kind of context. What can we do? How can we successfully hand off the baton of faith to the next generation? How can we do that? 
Well, the passage of, that we're going to look at today addresses this issue in large part. And, and just let me kind of set the context for you today as we look at Hebrews chapter 11. The writer of Hebrew is, is talking about the nature and the importance of faith. And he goes systematically through the Old Testament talking about all these Old Testament characters and how faith was actively involved in their lives. <clears throat> how it played a vital part in all that they were, were doing. And in verse 23, he begins to talk about Moses. And basically what he is describing are the events that occurred in Exodus chapter 2. And you will remember there, perhaps, that there, a new Pharaoh arose in the land of Egypt who did not remember Joseph. You remember Joseph had been elevated to a, a very high position in the Egyptian government. And, and now this new Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph, doesn't remember the impact that he had on the nation. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and this new Pharaoh has, in essence enslaved the Hebrew people, and he begins to treat them very harshly. But despite all of this this difficult treatment, the Hebrew people continue to multiply and to prosper. And the king is looking at these people growing, the population ever increasing. He begins to get worried. He starts thinking, well, what if these people try to put together an army and, and rebel against me? Or what if some other army invades and they come along and join them in the fight against us? We could be in some great tr- trouble. And so the Pharaoh decides to, to do some, <clears throat> some population control. And he orders that all the, the male children, all the little baby Hebrew boys that were born would be killed. And that begins to happen in the culture. The little boys are being killed. Now, obviously, <clears throat> that's a hostile world that Moses was born into. What did his parents do? How did they, uh, how did they face uh, uh, or transfer the baton of faith on to Moses? Well, uh, Moses' parents, uh, Amram, that was his father, and Jochebed, his mother, they continued to live their faith boldly before Moses. They demonstrated their faith to him. And <clears throat> what did they do first? It says that they, they hid him for three months. And then they put him into a waterproof basket and set him afloat in the Nile River, close to where Pharaoh's daughter would bathe. Now, can you imagine the difficulty of doing that as a parent? Taking a three-month-old and putting him in a basket and afloat in a river? This is an incredible thing. And, and then he was found by the princess, and she took him to raise as her own children. Now, Miriam who was Moses' sister, older sister, was watching. And when the the Pharaoh's daughter took the child out, she went to her, she convinced her to get one of the Hebrew women who had lost their baby because of the order that the Pharaoh had given to nurse this child. Of course, Miriam went and got her own mother, and uh, Jochebed came, gets Moses, and she basically raises Moses as her own child, as the, although he is considered the adopted child of Pharaoh. So this is an incredible thing that it happens. And this is kind of where we pick up here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. Read with me in Hebrews eleven twenty-three. <clears throat> By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And that, that's the idea of a, an exceptional child, uh, one with a future, one with some special significance. <clears throat> and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. 
Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he led Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith They passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, I come to you this morning on behalf of mothers and fathers and families. Father, we thank you for the families that you have given us. We thank you for for the mothers that you have placed in our lives, for the life that you have given us through them, for the hope. And we especially thank you for those mothers that have lived a life of faith for us and and been an encouragement to us. And I just pray for them. Lord, I pray for the mothers that maybe are just expecting today, expecting to be mothers. And I, I pray for them for all the fear, for the un, unknown, of the uh, concern for the future. I pray that you just might give them a peace and a, a, a new commitment, Lord, to raise their children, to know you and to love you. Lord, I pray for those mothers that are in the midst of raising children, we're in the in the busyness and the and the distractions and the and all the concerns, Lord, I pray again that you would renew our understanding of the importance of what we are doing and, and the priority of raising our children to know you. Lord, I pray for those mothers that may be doing this alone. Lord, that you might give them a renewed energy and and grace and and help and resources so that they too can be faithful in investing in their children and, their, and giving them the spiritual uh, hope that they need for the future. Lord, I pray for those moms that are about to send off their children to a world in which they are no longer in control completely, to a world of college or some other, uh, to marriage or some other place. Lord, I just pray that you would give them a peace and, and a confidence to be able to trust in the, uh, the investment that they've already made. And Lord, that the fruit of the faith that has been invested will, be, will produce great fruit in the future. We pray for their protection, for your watch care over them. Lord, for the moms that have already raised their children, that are, that are maybe grandparents, we, we pray for them that they could see their role of being a, a, an addition and a help to the, to the parents in raising children. Not to spoil them, Lord, but to invest in their lives in faith. And Father, we thank you for families. We, we pray for families. We pray for husbands and wives to be strengthened and encouraged. And we pray that children would be raised up to know you and bring honor and glory to your name through Christ. And I pray for today, Lord, help me as I speak. Move me out of the way and, and just let me be able to speak in such a way that it's helpful to these parents. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me, sorry. When we read this passage, we see that five times there is the statement that says, by faith. Five times in seven verses. So you see, this is, this is talking about the, the impact of the life of faith on people, on, on children. And verse 23 says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, 
was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a, a beautiful child, a special child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, I read that verse again <clears throat> to point out to you that <clears throat> Moses' life of faith has its origin in the life of his parents' faith. It's because they were believers that Moses has become the believer, the man of faith that he is today. And though godly parents can't pass on their faith genetically, they can certainly pass on their faith in the sense of, <clears throat> of, of, of relationally and being examples to their children. See, your home should be their first school of faith. Children learn faith in the home. And that's the first place that that should happen. It's not the job of the church to do that. It's your job to do that, parents. And, and Moses' parents boldly practiced their faith before their son. You say, in, in what way? <clears throat> well, one of the first things it says <clears throat> is that they risk their lives to disobey the edict of the king to hide their son to protect him instead of giving him up to be killed. They risked their lives to save his. And not only did they risk their lives for him, but they took, it took considerable faith for them to put little Moses in that basket. To put your, your, your three-month-old baby into a basket and to float him down the Nile to where, the, to where Pharaoh's daughter was, knowing that she is going to immediately recognize him as a Hebrew child, one whom the, the Pharaoh, her father, has ordered that all be executed. That took incredible faith. And then what about the fact if he was spared? What if he is raised as Pharaoh's daughter? Doesn't it take faith to believe that somehow that Moses is going to come to understand who he really is? And that he is going to be raised as a man of faith instead of in the court of Pharaoh? See, from a human perspective, his parents didn't even have a way of knowing whether or not he would be spared, much less that he would be given back to them. They didn't know all of this at that time. And here is Jochebed, and she, she nurses Moses, she, and as she is nursing him, she is training him. And she is telling him who he really is. She's telling him that he's a part of the people of God who are going to receive the land of Canaan, who are going to be a blessing to the nations of the world. And she instilled in him God as the great promise giver and God as the great deliverer. His mother passed on to him the baton of faith in those early years. She did an incredible job. And she didn't know why this was happening. She didn't understand why all of this was going on. Why, was, why were the people experiencing this? Why had this happened to Moses? Why did she have to give him up to Pharaoh's household? She didn't understand it. You know, it was interesting because this morning after the first service, someone came to me to talk to me about the whole why thing. Why are we going through what we're going through right now? We just don't understand it. From a human perspective, it just doesn't seem to make sense. But, you know, they said after, the, after today, after looking at these scriptures, we feel like that we can face what we've got to face. And, you know, God's word is, is incredibly powerful and incredibly appropriate for all of our circumstances. We really don't know why we're experiencing all the things we're experiencing. But God is at work in the midst of it. And even though we don't understand it, God is accomplishing his purposes. She knew this was part of God's plan. You know, as Christians, I think we all want to pass on our faith to our children. At least I hope so. And we want that to be an enduring faith. 
Isn't it, wouldn't it, isn't it so tragic when children are raised in the church and then they become young adults or, or graduate from high school as many are about to do and they go off into college and, that, and the faith that they have proclaimed in the earlier part of their life now is abandoned. Isn't that a tragedy? That's the most, one of the most tragic things that I can ever imagine happening in, in the life of my children. I want that faith to be an enduring faith, a lasting faith. And, and Moses' parents boldly practiced their faith in Moses' presence. And, and, and you see, that's really the point of the passage. Uh, boldly uh, practicing your faith helps build enduring faith in the life of your children. Let me say this. There's no guarantee. Every person has to ultimately make that decision. But your faith has a tremendous impact upon your children, parents. Never, ever underestimate the impact your life will have on your children. And this passage, I want you to see four ways that boldly practicing your faith can help develop enduring faith in the life of your children. First, your faith helps your children determine personal identity. Your faith helps your children determine personal identity. In verse 24, it says this, By faith, Moses... When he had grown up. Now, let's stop there just for a moment. When he had grown up. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about the end product of these parents' faith. This is what you get as a result of all that the parents have invested in the life of Moses. When he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The goal of parenting is to see your children grow up and develop an enduring faith in Christ. Can I say that again, moms and dads? Listen, the goal of parenting is to see your children grow up and develop an enduring personal faith in Christ. And that faith has to be personal. It has to be their faith in order to be enduring. You see, it's one thing for you to express your faith to them, but it is another thing altogether for them to embrace the faith that you have. Moses' childhood faith now becomes his personal lifelong faith. And part of developing enduring faith is developing the personal identity of that child. See, it's the question, it's, it's this, who am I? Well, why do I exist? What am I doing here? What is my purpose? And everybody, see, innately asks that question. We all are wondering, well, you know, why am I here? Amram and Jochebed began to teach Moses his value. They began to teach him his, his purpose and his place in life. And they did that by living out their faith before him. And you see, when, when, when they risked their lives to save Moses, which he came, he didn't know that when he was a little baby, but later he came to realize his mom and dad risked their lives to save him. It said, you're important. You're valuable. You matter. You've got a purpose in life. God's got something for you to do. God preserved you for a reason. You're valuable. God created you. He made you in his image and, he, and, and, and he, he's going to use your life. You are part of a people. You are of the line of Abraham. You are of a, a line of a people who have a promise from God to be the, a blessing to the entire world. You. He, all of a sudden, he's got an identity. 
an incredible identity. And you know, your true identity comes in understanding who you are in relation to God. Could I say that again? I, I, wish, I, could, I wish I could imprint this on the minds of Christian people. Your true identity comes in understanding who you are in relation to God. You see, understanding who you are involves understanding who God is. You've got to know who he is. See, today people recognize the impact of a child's identity on their life. That's why the whole self-esteem culture is so popular today. And, and, and that's why you see that people are, are so intense on saying, so on telling their kids, oh, you're wonderful, you're great, you're, you're marvelous, you're awesome. They're telling their kids this, but they're given no reason why. No basis for, for believing that. Why are you so wonderful? Well, you just are. And we just, and we turn around and say, well, you evolved. You, you came from a monkey. Well, that really makes me valuable, doesn't it? You see, if you come from a, if you come from a, from a monkey, well, then you're no more valuable than a monkey or a tree or anything else that values. I mean, you don't have value in that regard. Then the world turns around and says, well, you know, if, if having a baby is going to really inconvenience your life, then you should just go ahead and get an abortion. But wait a minute, we say. I thought life was valuable. I thought I was valuable. And we just deny the very thing that we're saying to our, our children, that somehow they're valuable. If you want your children to have an enduring faith, you must make sure they understand who they are in relation to God. This took great effort. This took great energy on the part of Amram and Jochebed. Moses had to be taught these truths. Now listen, he had to be taught these truths while he was being taught in the court of Pharaoh. While he was being indoctrinated with the teachings of pagan Egypt. With the philosophies of the world. That's where he was being educated. They would be they were just pounded with this. And in the meantime, Moses is being educated by mom at home in the reality of who he is. Wow. Does that sound familiar? Do you, do you realize that your children are being educated in the court of the world? And that the court is teach, and the court of the world is, is always imposing their doctrines, their philosophies, their beliefs on the minds of your children? And if you are going to overcome that, it is going to take great energy and great effort and is going to require you relationally to live out that faith before them in your home. Because that has greater power than anything else. You see, I want you to, um, I want you to, I want you to think about that, because your children may have a different identity than you think they do. Have you ever thought about that? Wonder, wonder what your children see, that, how that your children see themselves. Have you ever thought about what their, their identity is? How do they see themselves? Do they see themselves as the kid that does dot, 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 dot? The kid that is in a part of this group, dot, 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 dot? Think about what your kids are really, what do they see is where I fit in, who I am? And you better be giving them something better to see themselves as. 
than what the world is telling them or what their peer group is telling them or what whomever is telling them. When Moses had grown up, he refused to be called the daughter of the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But he chose rather to be a part of the people of God. And in choosing to do so, he even chose ill treatment with Christ. Now, if you're going to make that decision, you better have some real motivation. I, it's been several, it's a lot of years ago. But I was visiting in my hometown, my parents, and I ran into my first grade teacher. She recognized me somehow, I, I, I don't know. I think my mom maybe showed her pictures or something. She recognized me, and she says, Kenny. And I'm looking at her, I'm thinking, I don't know this lady. <laughs> and she tells me who she is, and I'm going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, Miss, Miss Candrel. <laughs> and, and, and she begins to tell me stories about when I was in the first grade. Now, how does a lady like that remember stories about somebody in the first grade? But she, she did. And one of, the, one of the things that she told me that just really stuck in my mind, and I tell this story oftentimes, is that she said, Kenny, when you, were, when you were in the first grade, you missed a day of school. And when you came back, I asked you, were you sick? And you said, yes. And I said, did you go to, did you go to the doctor? And you said, No. My mommy prayed for me. And I, and that when she said that, I just automatically made the connection between my mom's faith and what had happened in my life when I grew up. I identified with my mom's faith rather than anything else that I'd been taught in the world. And it had a powerful impact. Listen, what you teach your children, what you demonstrate for your children is going to have a lasting impact upon their lives. Faith can't be passed on genetically, but it can be passed on practically and relationally. Today, our ultimate identity is in Christ. And God didn't just risk his life for us, He sent His only Son into the world to go upon the cross, to take upon Himself our sin, to suffer and die in our place so that He could redeem us out of death. He, he has demonstrated beyond doubt His incredible love for us. And our identity now is in Christ. And what's the first thing that we do when we get saved? When we come to faith in Christ, the first thing we do, we should do in obedience to him is to be baptized. Because when you're baptized, you are immediately identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You take on his name. You're called a Christian. You take on his spirit. And your identity now is in Christ. And that's what you want for your children. You want them to take on the identity of Christ and to be identified with him. And our life is in him, our hope is in him, our future is in him, and therefore we endure with him. Moses' sense of identity with the people made him willing to to reject the world and then to even endure ill treatment. Why? Because he had come to understand what really mattered in life, what was really valuable. See, that brings us to our second point here. Your faith helps your children discern proper values. Your faith helps your children discern proper values. Listen to all the terms that, uh, that relate to values in these verses. Look at verse 25. Choosing, he says, rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. See that word choosing? It's a value word. What are you choosing between? Ill treatment and pleasures. And then see that word considering? Well, it's a value word. Uh, uh, What do you choose between? The reproach of Christ or the riches, uh, the treasures of Egypt or the reward of Christ. You see, what's the, it's a value, it's a choosing. Now underline those words on your your little outline. Underline uh, choosing and, and considering. 
because the, the word considering means to take careful thought. It means to evaluate. It means to weigh out and determine the value of something. And this is exactly what Moses was doing. He was weighing the value of what is coming. This is not something that he does on a spur of the moment. This is a very uh, calculated decision that Moses has come to in his life. And he's come to, to consider that, that the things of Christ are more valuable than the things of the world. And, 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 and his, his choice was between the passing pleasures of sin and the abundant treasures of Egypt. Or enduring ill treatment and the reproach of Christ. Reproach means shame. It means disgrace. It means to be ridiculed, to be persecuted. And you say, well, that sounds like a no-brainer. I mean, who's going to turn down, you know, uh, pleasures and treasures for pain and poverty? Who's going to turn that down? I don't think anybody needs to be convinced of the pleasure of sin. Sin often feels great. I mean, that's why we do it, because it satisfies some desire, some longing in us. And the primary reason we want treasure is so that we can have more pleasure, right? That brings, so it's all about the pleasure. And living in Pharaoh's palace, Moses had everything. He had all the riches that the world could afford. Anything. I mean, he, he had it. He had all the video games. I mean, he had Netflix and Amazon Prime. I mean, he, he had it all. And you see, and, and what a temptation that must have been for him to hold on to all of those pleasures and treasures. Let me ask you, do you, do you understand that your children are fighting that same battle right now, that they're choosing the same, making the same choices? Do you understand your children are choosing right now, that they're considering, they're considering what really, what's really most valuable. And from the looks of it, the, the pleasures and treasures of Egypt are winning out. That's what we're believing is that those things are really the most valuable. But let me tell you something that might escape your attention. Two things. First, sin is evil, and God will punish sin. If you choose sin, you're choosing to ultimately the judgment of God in your life. And the other thing is that sin is temporary. The pleasure of sin is temporary. It it may be fun initially, and it may be great for a while, but ultimately it, it abandons you and leaves you with nothing. And it will destroy your life. It's like the person that we, we're, we're looking at and trying to imagine. How in the world can they, can they make this decision? The people who are on, uh, overdosing on drugs every day in our culture, and we're having this huge discussion about how to stop it. Why is there a problem? Because people love the thrill and the entertainment and the, and the high that comes with taking that drug, but then, as soon as they're done, it devastates their lives. And we do the very same thing, except we kind of protract it out over a lifetime sometimes. When we're making our choices, considering what really matters and what really is really valuable, we're doing it. From the worldly standpoint, Moses was sacrificing everything for nothing. But from a spiritual standpoint, he was sacrificing nothing for everything. It's a paradox, folks, and that's the way it really is. In Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, the heroine is a, is a beautiful and wealthy heiress named Portia. And there were many wealthy and uh, uh, um, uh, noble men, who suitors, who wanted to marry her. 
But her father's will decreed that she must be chosen by a certain test. And the, and the test was this. Uh, who, uh, which chest would the suitor choose? There were three. One was made of gold. And it was inscribed with this. He who chooses me shall gain what many men desire. Inside the box was a skull. The second chest was made of silver, and it had the inscription, He who chooses me shall get as much as he deserves. And inside was a picture of a a fool, a jester. The third chest was made of lead, and on it was described, He who chooses me must give and hazard all he has. And inside was a picture of Portia. All the suitors that came chose either the gold or silver box because of the precious metals and because of the inscriptions, except for one man, Bassanio. And Bassanio chose the lead chest, and when he chose the lead chest, he was given Portia's hand in marriage. And with that came all of her riches. Because he was willing to give up everything he had for the one that he loved. And that is a pretty good picture of the way it works in the Christian world and Christian life. We give up all that we have seeming up here, all that we have for the one that we love. And when we give up all that we have, we get everything that he has. We get Christ. We get all of his riches and all of his glory and all things that he has. That's the attitude that we have to have. You see, We've got a different attitude about values. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. All the things that we suffer in this world, you see, they, they just add to the glory that we will receive. And your children Get their values, their understanding of values from watching your faith. Understand that. Your children get it from you. In large part, and so your faith helps your children discern proper values. Number three, your faith helps your children develop prevailing courage. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him as Him who is unseen. Moses had reason to fear when he first left Egypt because he had just killed a slave master and he feared for his life. The second time that Moses left Egypt, he had reason to fear because he was taking the king's entire uh, slave population with him. So he had reason to fear. But not only that, but he met the resistance of his own people. I mean, initially when Moses said, well, we're going to get, God's going to deliver us from this place, from all this bondage and slavery, they said, oh yeah, that's great. But then every time that Moses would go to Pharaoh and make a demand, then the things would get worse and the people began to turn away from Moses and say, we don't want to follow you. You're making it horrible for us. So he's got, Pharaoh and he's got his own people against him. But listen, Moses stands firm. Why? Because his eye is not on the king and his eye is not on the people. His eye is on God who paradoxically is unseen. Friends, God is unseen, but he is at work in this world. And you can count on him. You can count on him to stand with you and support you. He believed what David said in Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The, the, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? You know, fear is one of Satan's most effective weapons. Have you, have you noticed that? Uh, Satan used fear in, 
in Abraham's life on a couple of occasions. You remember uh, his wife Sarah was so beautiful that he was afraid that the Pharaoh would uh, want her and take, uh, take her and kill him to have her. And so he lied and he said, she's my sister. And he put, he put Sarah in a compromising situation, compromising not only his marriage, but the, the whole covenant that God had made with them. That happened not only once, but twice. And he did this, why? Because he's, he's fearful. And then there was Aaron who became afraid of the people and because of their intimidation, he built a golden idol for them to worship while Moses was up on the mountain. And there was Peter who, who feared, you know, uh, his, uh, feared all the things that he did, the, uh, criticism, arrest, and he denied Christ three times. Fear is a great pressure. I mean, it has a, a profound impact upon us, and it causes us oftentimes to be tempted to turn away from doing what God wants us to do when, we, when God would have us to stand firm. Fear is a powerful, powerful motivator in our lives. But true faith doesn't fold under the pressure of the world. See, what is courage? Is it not being afraid No, courage is is doing what is right in spite of the consequences. It's being willing to obey God even when bad things happen to us. And you see, if we, as the children of God, if we we identify ourselves as God's children, and then we take on the values of God, then we've got to have the courage to stand on the values that we have chosen. And that's what Moses saw in his parents. He saw them claim who they were. He saw them value who they were. And he saw them follow through with who they were. And so, how did, how did Moses learn this? <laughs> Look, by verse 23, by faith, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. His parents stood against the king and here is now Moses standing against the king. Parents, your faith helps your children develop prevailing courage and to stand against the temptations of the world. And finally, your faith helps your children demonstrate practical obedience. In verse 28, uh, the writer says, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. You remember the last uh, plague, the tenth plague, was the uh, uh, death angel would pass over? And the firstborn of all would die, animals and men. That was the tenth plague. And to protect the, uh, the uh, Israelites from that, the Passover was instituted. The blood of a lamb was taken, and it was sprinkled on the doorpost and on the lentils of the house of the people of Hebrew. And when the death angel came and he saw that blood, he would pass over and not take the life of the, of the firstborn. Now, obviously that blood had no power in itself, but it was something that the people did in obedience as an act of faith. And when they obeyed in an act of faith, then they were spared, they were protected. And this is what the writer is describing, the, the, the basic of faith and obedience of these people. Now, that blood obviously is symbolic of Christ's sacrifice by which he conquered death and he delivers us from the power of death in our own lives. See, today we we look to the blood and by faith it's applied to our lives and we come in to be his children and we are delivered forever by the power of death. And it's something you do in obedience to God and by faith. It's how we're saved. God required it, Moses obeyed it. That's what we're doing. We're simply accepting God's provision. That's all obedience is. Obedience is accepting God's provision in our lives.
Because whenever God tells us to do something, it's a provision for this. He makes provision for it. When Moses and his people got to the Red Sea, Pharaoh wasn't far behind. And the people begin, when they, when they see the, the Egyptians coming and they see the sea before them, you know what they do? They get, sarta- they get sarcastic and they start complaining. And they say to Moses, well, did you bring us out here to die because there's no graves in, in Egypt? They had to bring us out here in the desert where there's enough space to bury us all. But then Moses begins to speak and he says to them, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. God will do it. You simply have to trust and obey. And, and for a while, they began to trust. And they saw the, the Red Sea part. And they saw walls of water high above them on each side. Walls of water. This is an incredible thing. And, and the path before them, dry like on dry land. And they have to make the decision to obey when God gives the command through Moses to walk through. Now again, think about how difficult it might be to walk through giant walls of water. And they did it. But when the Egyptians began to follow, those walls of water collapsed and they were drowned. God always fulfills his word. God's word is sufficient. And this is what the people did. They obeyed by faith and they saw the deliverance of God. Faith takes God at his word. Everything you do in life, we live by faith in God's word. We live our lives according to that truth, and we have to do it. The test of faith is trusting God when all we have are his promises. Because, friends, sometimes it doesn't look like God's part of the Red Sea. Sometimes it's like when you, go to, uh, when you had to go to the river uh, Jordan, and the priests had to put their foot into the water before the water divided. Sometimes we don't see it all. But God's word is always sufficient. And this is one of the things that we want to teach our children to do, is to be obedient to the word of God. And to trust God that his way is always the best. His way is the way of deliverance. Parents, your faith has an incredible impact on your children. It has an impact on their identity, who they really see themselves as being. Who are they identifying with? Is this your church? Is this their, their church? You know, who do they identify them with, themselves with? The identity. Your values. Your, your children are picking up your values. And when you watch their lives and you begin to say, no, 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 don't choose that. What you, most of the time what you're going to see is they're choosing your values. Your courage. Do you have the courage to stand on Faith. And what about your obedience? Are you being obedient? Your faith impacts all of these things in your children's lives. And God will call us, call us to be people of faith so that we can have an influence on our children in a positive way. Let's pray. Father.